All right, Carol Holter asked if I can make an announcement. There's two announcements about Christmas sharing. She is gone this morning. She, uh, they need help on Monday night, November 19th. That's a couple days from now, a few days from now. Um, really, any time of the day, uh, but the, the day that I think that's like on the bulletin board is from 7 to 8.30 p.m., but if that doesn't fit in your family's schedule, just give Carol a call, and she will be here. Because um, I'm going to try to get the junior high and high school kids to come on Monday because there's no school. So, yeah. In fact, um, in fact, she mentioned that she says families are encouraged to come. So, yeah, that's right, all week exactly. So you can get them every single night. Yeah. Mm. The um, basic, they just need a lot of help to move the Sunday school furniture out of the Sunday school rooms so that they can start setting up. The other one is that there's the special request from the families, and if you would like to get something for a specific family, here's the sign-up sheet for that. So we'll go ahead and pass that around, and you can sign that up and do all that stuff. Here you go. I didn't put Bibles around, so I don't know if, if everyone has a Bible, that would be great. Or have access to a Bible, or just if you know it by memory, that would be great too. Um, <clears throat> Bible passages that we discussed, or, or that were discussed in the book, are from Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19. So we'll go ahead and read that first. No, just, uh, you know, we don't meet next Friday. It should be pretty obvious since it's Thanksgiving. So we'll be back at it then the following week, no, uh, December 1st, I think. I think that's the Friday. November 30th, sorry. Okay, um, Luke 18, and we'll start at verse 35. And then we'll go through 19, uh, we'll, we'll take a break in between. But So as Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. All right, um, Things to kind of point out in the Middle East here, when an important person comes to town, there's always a great welcoming committee. Um, People will normally meet this, well, obviously at this time when people have to walk to get to places, it's a little easier. But um, they would meet them outside of town on the main road, and they would start the wonderful reception. We see this also in the triumphal entry when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, same kind of idea. So we have this beggar 
who is not part of that crowd. Like he doesn't know anybody's coming by. So when he hears this crowd, he asks this question. I mean, because it's kind of a big deal. Someone important must be coming to town. And so they tell him, and then he cries out. Now, one of the things to make note about the, the, the beggar is that when the crowd comes, they do, in fact, um, kind of surround him. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, and those who were in front of him. So that's a directional statement towards Jesus. So if the guy's sitting there, if people are standing in front of him. I say that just in way of the next story in Zacchaeus. So the man just cries out all the more. He, uh, Jesus obviously hears him. And, well, first of all, people rebuke him. And the word for rebuke is, is the same one that Jesus uses towards demons. It's not a nice word. It's, it's a bad word. I mean, you wouldn't want to be rebuked by anybody. So these people are pretty hard on the guy, okay? Beggars uh, normally would be seated. So in a sense, they're kicking him while he's down. Pretty awful. Okay. Um, but Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And so Jesus commands. So he's obviously he's the guy in charge. And then people do what he says because this is the most important guy coming to town. And the Lord, the Lord says, you know, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. The word for, for made well is sozo. And for those who maybe read the book, you got that. But um, it's the word for saved. Um, just in this particular instance, since his sight came back, the translators translated it as made you well. And that's true, too. But the word saved is probably more helpful because of what happens in the next story in verse 9. Salvation has come to your house today, Jesus says. So there's a connection between the two stories. Um, no, no, no huge difference, but just if you're into literature and alliteration and connections, that would be really helpful. All right, um, plus beggars back then too. Um, very different than kind of how we see beggars that, you know, when we get off the metro station in, you know, at Ogilvy Station and we walk out on Madison Street and we cross the river heading to wherever, the Opera House or whatever. Because, you know, we're all going there, right, tonight? I mean, <laughs> um, oh, we can get there now by car because Wacker Drive's open, so that's nice. Um, anyways, <laughs> what? <are>, sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, I, I'm a little under the weather, so part of my cough. Uh, okay, so anyways, so so beggars back then were um, actually uh, seen as just normal part of the community. I mean, it's just people because uh, blind people they couldn't they don't have a job. I mean, just they can't work, so their job was to beg. Now, what's interesting is that Kenneth Bailey makes a point that. Beggars were also seen as vehicles for, um, like, piety. Giving to the poor meant giving to God. So, a poor, like, the beggar could, in fact, invoke God's name in his petitioning for giving. And then people would give him, and then the beggar's response would be to glorify God for this person and say, you know, Cindy Los is the most wonderful person in the entire world and anybody who would give would get this great acclamation from the beggar and everybody would know 
that this person has done this good deed. Um, and and that, that's important because what we find out is uh, not only does the, the blind man do that, but also everybody else around the blind man. So it's the whole crowd that gathers into this proclamation. Now the blind man, though, if he recovers his sight, what does he lose? His main source of income. You know, he has no skills or anything. So recovering your sight, for most of us, would be like, hey, that's a no-brainer. Awesome. Um, but for this blind man, and this is actually, this is something that is not as easy as we might first kind of think. Because, you know, there's not like COD that, that's down the street from Jericho, and you can just go to college and get a job. And The presumption is, is that this man is an adult, and he has his place in life. And moving up the uh, class ladder in ancient times is very difficult. So this isn't, this isn't like a no-brainer. This guy actually has to, I mean, he's been thinking about this. this is, he's giving up his means of living in order to now recover his sight. Again, everyone thinks, well, he gets his sight. He can probably find a job now. He can do a lot more things. That could, that could happen. But it's, it's just not a slam dunk like we would kind of understand it in modern society. Also, um, it's the uh, air, uh, uh, Arabic, oh man, I forgot what it was called. There's this uh, Middle Eastern uh, writing or translation of this story. And they add the words, let, my re- let me recover my sight so that I might see you, he says to Jesus. Now, that, that's a great idea. But if we think in pictures, that's probably going to happen anyways because the man's been brought before Jesus, you know. And so when he recovers his sight, the first thing he will see is, in fact, Jesus. Okay, that's, I'm just pointing these things out. It might seem abundantly obvious, but that's actually very important to the story. Okay. Okay, well then, yeah, then just one more note too is that uh, the crowd rebukes the man, but then he, they kind of welcome him. So there's this transformation going on for not only the man, but for the crowd too. Jesus, okay, so let's start at verse 19. It's the same story. It's the same, you know, if we're watching a movie, there's no break in the filming. They don't have to cut to a new scene because he's still walking along, entering into Jericho. So he entered Jericho and was passing through. That's important. And there was a man named... So Jesus' initial intention wasn't to stop. So, you know, we might think, hey, he's coming to go to Zacchaeus' house. Well, that's, that's actually not true. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus, who was... Who Jesus was, sorry. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. 
And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay. So in this story, making the connections between the two stories, uh, the, the, he says to, Jesus says to the blind man, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well, even though the word has saved you. Salvation has come to your house. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So we have this, this connection going on. It's a, we have a moment of salvation, which doesn't end in kind of temporary uh, restoration. We're thinking more eternally. Um, now Zacchaeus, how, how would he be blind in this story? What's that? He can't see Jesus. He can't see Jesus. Yeah, He's too short. His intention was to see who Jesus was, but he can't. He has to do something more. The blind man calls out louder, and Zacchaeus then climbs a tree. Um, Okay, so the blind man has to take into account about changing his life from being a blind man to a uh, seeing man, losing his kind of normal way of, of living. Now, what, what is, uh, how is, is climbing a tree a risque thing for Zacchaeus? You have to think like a woman here. At least, I think you should. It's not a very, like, proper thing to do. Well, it's not. A rich guy. That's right. And that's, they say that, and he, Kenneth Bailey gives a great story about how there's this U- United States official who lives in Egypt at the time, and he climbs a tree to fix some light bulbs. And the president of Egypt finds out about this, and he can't believe it. And he actually has an official inquiry, like he has to go and talk to the guy to see if that actually happened. Now, that, that's true, so it's not proper. But again, that's why I think it's important to think like a woman in this. That's exactly right. Yep. Um, this is, yeah, this is something that um, that we don't think about when we read this story. This is this is actually uh, this. I would say this is very in play. How many people have climbed a tree in a dress? Now I I haven't because. But, I mean, you understand, though, why, why somebody might be a little nervous about doing that, right? Because you can see up there. But Zacchaeus, though, um, in, in this desire to see Jesus, kind of, he, he counts all the costs of what's it going to cost him. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't think he thought of everything, because he can't think of everything. Yeah, the question would be, why is he in desperation to see Jesus? He's a rich man. He's got everything he needs. But he's a shamefully rich man. Okay, this is good. Why, why is he shameful? Is he, well, I mean, because of what? Right, it's not because he's rich, but because of how he became rich. 
Um, just before in chapter 18, um, I'm pretty sure this is the right thing. <laughs> I should have checked that. Yeah, um, uh, the, the Luke version of the rich young ruler or the rich ruler comes in. So now we have another rich person into the story. And what was impossible for man is possible for God. And now we've kind of, now we're seeing this come to fruition. This is actually happening. So uh, Zacchaeus is shameful because of what he's done. Now, not only what has he done, but who has he done it to? Yeah, and who are these people, though? <laughs> I mean, this is like his family. Um, I mean, this isn't like, you know... I mean, I came from Wisconsin. If you cheated somebody from Illinois, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, those pesky people from Illinois. Um... Yeah, so, so, I mean, that's a terrible, or, or, or I would say like a Packer fan to a, a, a Bear fan, you know. It's, it's kind of okay, or a White Sox fan to a Cubs fan. You can, you can get away with certain things that you wouldn't normally get away with because they're the bad guys. But Zacchaeus is cheating his own people. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of, he's, he's on the outside. The blind man, where was he sitting in reference to the city of Jericho? I didn't make that. I forgot to mention that. He was outside the gates, exactly. And where is Zacchaeus? He starts inside, but he can't see, and so he has to go outside. So we've got all these crazy images going on in here. And so Jesus <laughs> takes the blind man who's on the outside, and what happens eventually to the blind man? He not only covers his sight, which is actually secondary, the most important thing is what he fi- he's doing at the end. Yeah, following Jesus. So now he's become part of the inside group. And who is the inside group, though? It's the Jesus group. Well, and so now we go to Zacchaeus, who's on the outside of the city of Jericho, but then now becomes part of the inside group. He's, uh, Jesus is kind of reorienting what it means to be the family of God in, this, in these uh, stories here. Uh, because Zacchaeus now has Jesus in his midst, uh, saving him. Now he is a son of Abraham. So he's restored to who he really is. And, and that, so that, that seems kind of odd for us to think about. But for him, for Zacchaeus, who's ashamed of what he's done, and people have hated him for it and pushed him out. You know, it would be it would be the similar to a, a Jewish person helping the Nazis during the Holocaust. I mean, this is not a good thing. So, um, but now Jesus comes and says, "All that's gone now, and now you are restored to who you should be." Um, Kenneth Bailey makes the point between the oppressed and the oppressor, and how Jesus saves both both the oppressed and the oppressor. Um, I, I think that's a fine distinction. But Zacchaeus, on a certain level, is still not, not so much an oppressor, but just a sh- he's shameful. He's, just, he's ashamed and guilty of, of all of the sins that he's committed. So now, um, 
let's just make sure I said all I need to say about those two stories. Hello. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Okay, so what we find out between these two stories is that Jesus calls both men to follow him or be part of the the community that Jesus is creating in very concrete ways. But in, in that calling, he actually exposes them for who they are. So he takes the beggar, who in fact is on the outskirts, but then brings him in front of all the entire crowd. I mean, this is, this is not an easy position to be. If anybody doesn't like to be in front of crowds, well, when you follow Jesus, you, you probably are going to have to be in front of crowds at some point. You've got to get over yourself, in a sense. In fact, uh, um, this has happened before, where parents will ask if they can have a baptism like in private, because they don't what? They don't want a crowd. I'm like, why not? It's fun. It's a big deal. You're like the star of the day. Anyways, um, of course we we don't we we make them go in front of the crowd, uh, and then uh, so the man is is exposed in a sense, and then obviously for Zacchaeus, he's exposed. I mean, in more ways than one. Yeah, we, oh, we, we always. We, I don't think I, we've never had a, a private baptism since I've been here. Right? I don't think we will. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're always joining the community. You're always part of the crowd. Actually, too, you know, this is something interesting that I hadn't thought about, but it's actually in the story themselves. I was all I'm getting to the scene things. Um, is that um, you, you know you can't you can't be by yourself. Now Zacchaeus was by himself. Both the beggar and Zacchaeus are by themselves. But by the end of the story, they're no longer by themselves. And that's the whole point about being a Christian, is that you can't be by yourself. Um, for a lot of people, that's good. They don't want to be by themselves. I mean, but for people who want to keep people at bay, or, or usually that's because it's based on fear and, and distrust. Um, you know, Jesus is all about like breaking all those things down. And then as you live in the community... Now, that doesn't mean like you're like Mr. Popular with everybody and everybody is extrovert because I am not an extrovert. Uh, but you live in community. You just, you just don't live by yourself. And oftentimes, I should say oftentimes, but it, it's very common where um, people want to be Christians but not, not live that way. They, they kind of want to do it on their own terms. That's maybe another way to say it. They want to live on their own terms. And so that means you can't tell me to be part of this community. Just a little tangent here, but that's why we do the catechumen the way we do it at St. John, the catechumen. We make people go through the catechumen because you can't just, you can't just join St. John. We don't, we don't want you just to transfer your papers in. We'd like you to go through that. I went through it twice, by the way. How many people went through it twice now? Uh, before you were part of the community. Ah, oh, Carrie, I thought I was the only one. <laughs> Pastor Brusick made me go through it twice. This was a long time ago. So, you know, people who have to go through it once, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no, um, in fact, I, uh, I just was talking to a couple last weekend who, um, 
asked about St. John, and they were very surprised. They thought they just could bring their uh, papers over and just transfer in. Were they yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, exactly. That's usually the people. We'll see. <laughs> we're working on them. They actually, it, this, there's a whole long story there, but they, uh, anyways, but they, yeah, they were surprised. They, they thought, huh, why do I have to do that? I said, because you're, you can't live by yourself. You've got to live within the community, and this is how you become part of the community. This is like the hmm. initiation. Mary. <laughs> it's, that's right. That's a horrible way to live, isn't it? Well, and that's actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a good example because people who are alone sometimes are ashamed. Yes, they And they don't want people to know that they're a sinner. Yeah. It's painfully obvious for everybody, right? I mean, we all know. Well, like the Zacchaeus, for instance, you know? Um, the, uh, the other aspect, too, it was, it's interesting about how your example about... My mother Yeah, changing churches all the time. Jesus in this, now this was interesting. I can't remember if I read this from Kenneth Bailey or this is just from my own brain or something. When Jesus says to Zacchaeus, you know, come on down, I'm going to your house today. We all think, hey, this is like a nice thing to say. Jesus is, is very forceful. There's, like the language is very direct imperatives. Like we all know who you are, Zacchaeus, and you got to get down right now. Like yeah, he's like he's he's very offensive in a sense. I mean, he again he's exposing because he's Zacchaeus goes in a tree thinking that he can hide, right? Yeah, Kenneth Bailey makes that point, but he can't. And and Kenneth Bailey because the sycamore tree. Uh, does anyone have a sycamore tree? We have one in our next door neighbor's yard. It's a pain in the butt because I rake so many leaves. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's terrible. Um, so yeah, so you go you go under the tree. Um, Kenneth Bailey presumes is that you go under the tree because it's 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 a way to see but not be seen. And the question would be, how does Jesus know Zacchaeus's name? Well, we all say it because he's the Son of God, right? Yeah. Kenneth, Bailey didn't say that, Kenneth Bailey does not say that. No, no, no. He says, well, Jesus knew his name because everybody saw who Zacchaeus was and was criticizing him. You loser, Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus was speaking joyfully. That's right. And what did the blind man do, too? What did the blind man do? He glorified God. So what's interesting is the cost or the call of discipleship is not always necessarily sweet and endearing. It is something that causes a, a big change. Obviously, for the blind man, it's easy to see the change, right? Because he, was, he wasn't, I mean, he couldn't see, and then now he could. He was sitting on the side of the road. Now he's following Jesus. And Zacchaeus, the transformation is, is very plain, too, because he was stealing people's money, and now he promised to not do that, even give back more than what he took. Kenneth Bailey was uh, very helpful in that. I never thought of that. Zacchaeus actually can't do what he says he can. He doesn't have that much money. There's no way he could have that much money. So it's a, it's a Middle Eastern way of like hyperbola, hyperbole, right? Hyperbola is the geometric shape, right? Okay, hyperbole is the state of, okay. Um, he exaggerates. And so that's why everybody knows he's telling the truth because if he just said, I'm going to pay back 
just what I took. People would be like, that means he's not paying them back. <laughs> so he has to, which I thought that's very interesting. I never knew that. But okay. Anyway, so yeah, so Zacchaeus' transformation is, is, is big, is, is, uh, is kind of a big deal. But so Jesus' call, though, uh, is, is uh, especially Zacchaeus, because what did he say to the rich man? Even if you don't know what he said, you kind of have a vague notion. What does Jesus say to the rich man? If he wants to follow? Sell everything, right? And when the rich man can't do it, right? That's hard. It's a very simple statement. Uh, it's not a very endearing call to discipleship, but it's, uh, it's right in your face. Penny. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, it change is always hard. Transformation is always hard. And especially when, you know, God's doing it to you and you're not sure exactly what, what in the world's going on, right? That's why, I mean, the whole Zacchaeus story is kind of just peculiar for me because he's standing in this tree trying to, like, not draw attention to himself. You know, for better or for worse, you know, I don't know if that was a smart idea or, or a silly idea, but... But he, in fact, draws all this attention to himself. And the kind of attention is kind of humiliating. Um, and that's the scenario where Jesus calls him out of I mean, so it's like, ooh, I, you know, change is, is not easy. It's, it's very difficult. It costs it. So, um, so, yeah, Kenneth Bailey mentions Dietrich Bonhoeffer a few times. And uh, there's no such thing as cheap grace. Uh, Grace is free, but it does cost something. It costs the blood of blood of Jesus. It costs, you know, the death of the Son of God. And then on top of that, when Jesus uh, says to follow me, again, he 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 has two outsiders who, who he calls and says, "Come, come close to me. Be with me, and follow me." Um, but that whole following Jesus whatever that looks like, is going to be very hard because Jesus is in the grace business, and grace business means sacrificial love and living. And it's not calculated, too. That, I mean, that's a whole other aspect of the cost of grace is that, um, well, I don't know the Gospel of Luke very well. I'm sure it's in Luke. It's got to be in Luke. It's in all the other Gospels. Is that like but when in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, um, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. I mean, what? Is that like, is that real? Is Jesus just putting, putting us on? I mean, can that really happen? Can we give a gift so freely that our left and our right hand don't even know what's going on? Only with Jesus' help can we do that. Because most of the time we give a gift, right? Because, you know, it makes me feel good. Exactly. It makes me feel real good when everyone knows and everyone thanks me for it, too. That makes me feel real good. Oh, that's right. Oh, what's wrong with that person? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give that person a gift again. Um, so, I mean, if you've never thought that way before, um, you've got a little, got a little self-reflection that you have to do. Um, so the, this idea of, like, so that, but that's the life that we, Christ calls us to live, 
That's graceful living. Grace, undeserved kindness. Undeserved meaning there's no, there's no expectation of anything in return. It's kind of a big deal. Because love is terrible, by the way. I mean, I don't know if you knew that. Love, love is just... It's a very awful thing. Because in order to love, you'll, you'll probably have to be broken. And that's just... Oof, it's terrifying. What I want to talk about was seeing and believing, though. Um, in both stories, seeing and believing are, are pretty obvious. Seeing it in the Gospel of Luke is pretty important because it starts out right away in Luke chapter 2. Um, well, let's just turn to it if you got a Bible. Luke 2, verse 22. Jesus is uh, presented. We're not going to read the whole passage. We're just only going to read 29, 30, 31, 32. But Jesus is presented to the temple. Um, and then they run into a guy named Simeon. And Simeon says, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So we have seen and being saved happening. This is at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. So it's seeing Jesus is seeing your salvation. There's this... Okay, um, and then Jesus echoes that in Luke chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 21, where, well, first of all, Jesus uh, sends out 72 disciples to do his work. They come back, and they are just like, this is amazing, I can't believe it. In that same hour, verse 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. So hidden is, you know, from the eyes. Hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Reveal is another seen word. <laughs> she doesn't even like her dad. So, no offense, Mary. Yeah. Um, uh, so, anyways, so then Jesus says, um, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So who are they seeing now? They're seeing, they're seeing Jesus again. So seeing Jesus is obviously very important. Part of the inauguration of Jesus' ministry last week was that he would open the eyes of the blind. Again, we think kind of just generally speaking, but the story of the healing of the blind man in Luke 18 is um, very important for us because he has his eyes opened and he sees Jesus and his faith has saved him. So uh, we see the concrete manifestation of, of what's happening uh, between Jesus uh, opening the eyes of the blind and seeing salvation in the person of Jesus. That all kind of comes to the head. All this then works towards Luke chapter 24. 
So before the resurrection, seeing is obvious. I mean, we, just, we see Jesus coming down the street. You can sit by me, buddy. Oh, boy. All right. Um, anyways, so uh, Luke chapter 24. So before the resurrection, it's easy to see Jesus because he's, he's right there, right? Now, seeing in Luke chapter 24 is after the resurrection. And before... Um, so what does Peter see? So 24 verse 12, Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So he hadn't seen anything yet. He not see anything. He doesn't see Jesus. So at this point, Peter and the disciples don't really know what's going on. They don't see the salvation. They, they're still thinking that Jesus is dead. Now, the road to Emmaus, I don't know if you guys know the story. There's two guys walking along. One of them is named Cleopas and another guy. And Jesus walks up next to them in verse 16, but their eyes are kept from recognizing him. So they're blind. Jesus is literally literally in front of them, and they can't see him. Well, they're blind from seeing Jesus. Right. Right, exactly. They're seeing, they're, they're, it's like I'm looking at Katie and I don't know it's Katie. Yeah. So what happens then is, I forgot, I totally forgot we, we are supposed to be done now at 10, 15. I'll finish this up then. Is that Jesus now goes into the house with them. And if you see here, uh, verse 31. Oh, so he sits down, he takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So, the, the moment that their eyes are open, what's in front of them? Not anymore. Not anymore, right, yeah. He is there, but he's, he's vanished, he's gone. So, yeah, pop down to verse 34. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them, or um, revealed in the breaking of the bread. So in the resurrection, we see Jesus not in the way that, they, that the blind people see him before the resurrection, but post-resurrection, we see Jesus actually through the same means in which the blind man, your faith has made you well. It is through faith that we see Jesus, but we don't see Jesus as he was walking around, but we see him precisely in his bodily existence, which is among us in the breaking of the bread, the Lord's Supper. Isaac, we're going to pray now, buddy. You want to pray? Okay, let's fold our hands, though. It's okay. Oh, you want to fold your hands? My do. Okay. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.